happy Resurrection Day to everyone. It is probably the, it is for sure, the premier day that Christians should be celebrating. Every year we celebrate Christ's birth and we celebrate his resurrection. And every day of the Christian life, we should be celebrating both of those along with everything that his uh, person and work represent and mean to us. So um, I'm excited about this sermon. I hope it touches the hearts of each person that hears it, and it's a blessing to all of you. And with that, why don't we go ahead and pray, and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to gather together again, uh, to hear your word and your truth. Uh, Lord, especially on this day where we celebrate your resurrection. Uh, that purchased and guaranteed and blessed us with salvation through faith in you. Lord, I ask that you would just bless the words that go forth today, uh, that the gospel message uh, would reach new hearts, that it would edify and strengthen and comfort those that know you, and that you would be glorified and honored and worshipped through this message today. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... The title of the message today, being Resurrection Sunday, is Will You See and Believe? And it's based on John 20, verses 1 through 18. So if you guys have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn to John 20, and I'll read verses 1 through 18 uh, to get things started. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the faith cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. 
So let's look at this section by section and see the amazing blessing that this message gives us. But before I do that, I just want to preface it with a few points to help us have the proper understanding and context of this portion of scripture and this amazing story of Christ's resurrection before we move into it. The first thing I want you to understand is that the single most important event in all of human history, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything in scripture leads up to this amazing and glorious morning 2,000 years ago. And that may sound like I'm making a vast generalization, and maybe I'm being too overly dramatic with that statement, but it is very much the truth. Everything that has happened in God's creation on a universal scale and down to the scale of every individual, everything that's happened through time and history hinges on Calvary, on the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's why the celebration of Christ's resurrection every year is so important because we are celebrating the, the central focus of human history. God's entire plan of creation hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the only true perspective and context that you can have of history is the perspective and context of Jesus Christ. If you are not looking at human history and world history and creation and the universe from the perspective and context of Jesus Christ, you will not be able to understand any of it fully. You will be drawn into lies and darkness if you try to look at anything outside of the truth of Jesus Christ. That's why in John 14, 6, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, as we, as we see conveyed here by John, this event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was what the apostles, and this is what's going to be convey, conveyed very much as we go through this message today, is what you're going to see is that the apostles were mostly concerned with conveying uh, the substantial proof of Christ's resurrection. And especially in the book of John, we, we see John be being very meticulous and making a very obvious uh, effort to be very clear that he was an eyewitness to the events that took place during the ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection of Christ. So this event, the resurrection of Christ especially, was central in the focus of the work that the apostles carried out at the beginning of the church. They wanted people to know without a doubt that they had seen Christ risen from the dead. When the clarity of Jesus' word of his resurrection finally pierced their hearts, they realized that during his ministry, why he had emphasized this, his resurrection, as the most convincing proof of his being the Messiah. And you'll see these points made more as I go forward in this. So let's look at the beginning of this message. Uh, uh, beginning in, get this to pull up here. There we go. Uh, whoops, we missed one. There we go. John 20, verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day, what I want to do also before we move into this, 
everyone's familiar with it, but sort of get yourself in the proper context of what was taking place here. This was after Christ's uh, approximately three-year ministry. He came on the scene. He was preaching a message that no one had ever heard before. He was pre preaching a message that was turning Judaism on its head because Judaism was completely entrenched in the idea that salvation was works-based. You had to live up to God's law perfectly. You had to adhere to every aspect of God's law. And if you couldn't, you had to atone for your sins through a, through a sacrificial system that the Jews practiced really to the point of futility for centuries. The system of sacrifices that, you, that the Jews practiced proved that it is impossible to, be a, to, to, to find atonement for our sins through any other means than the perfect sacrifice that Jesus, that Jesus Christ came to make. And that's why this is such an important message. So let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So let's look at Mary Magdalene, first of all, to get a bit of an understanding of who she was. If we look at uh, Luke uh, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, this is speaking of Christ, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So Jesus had cast seven demons out of this woman. So what this tells us is her life was probably a living hell before Christ came into it and saved her. You see? In John 19, 25, it says, but, but, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Mary Magdalene spent these years, this time with Christ during his ministry. She witnessed him preaching the gospel message. She witnessed him working miracles, healings, raising the dead. And then at the end, she actually stood at the cross and witnessed his crucifixion. So just that gives us a little bit of an idea of the state of mind that she must have been in. The horror and the despair. Trying to figure out why these things had happened. So she was with Jesus during his ministry. She was at the cross witnessing his crucifixion. In Matthew 27, 54 through 56, it says, when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So again, we see her here at the cross, but it says that these women ministered to Christ. They served him and cared for him and assisted him in his ministry. So she was very close to the Lord. Mary, who had walked with the Lord and followed him all the way to the cross, was the first to see him resurrected and exalted. 
Now, there's a lesson for us to learn in this. And that lesson is that if we follow Christ through the darkness, he will bring joy to the glory of the morning to us. He will bring the joy of the glory of the morning to us. If we walk with Christ through the darkness, and what I mean by that is what we're doing now. If you are in Christ now and you are seeking to serve and honor and glorify him, and you are striving to be conformed to his image, and you have truly taken his name, you are now walking through the darkness. And just like Mary Magdalene, we will be blessed to see that light of his glory shine on that final day when we go to be with him face to face. Now, Christ had said that he would rise after three days. And one thing that, that I think we need to see here is notice in verse uh, 20, verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Christ had said over and over again, especially towards the end of his ministry, that he would rise after three days. He said he would be, uh, he would he would suffer at the hands of the Gentiles. He would be killed, and he would rise after three days. He didn't hide that message for them. But what we see here is that these people had not yet seen this truth. They didn't fully comprehend what he meant by that. They may have thought that they may have thought that he was speaking symbolically or metaphorically they hadn't fully grasped the truth of what Christ was saying to them. The light of the truth was just beginning to dawn for them, just like the sun dawning on this resurrection morning so many years ago. And that's very important. The symbolism in this is very important to us to understand as individual believers in Christ. Now let's look at verses three through seven. As so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded in a place by itself. So the two apostles that we're speaking of here are John, whose epistle we're reading, and Peter. John refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. I, I think that meant very much to him to know that the Lord loved him. So this is John and Peter running to the tomb that John's writing about here after Mary Magdalene brings them this news. But in verse 4, why the mention of the other disciple arising, arriving first? Why did John say that him and Peter both ran, but John arrived first? Did he say that out of pride? Trying to get across the point that maybe he was a better athlete? He was in better shape? He was younger? I don't think so. I believe that this is a specific detail for verification, reiterating that he is a first-hand eyewitness whose testimony is true and dependable. So I don't think there's anything prideful in John saying that he outran Peter getting to the tomb. I think he included this detail because he is trying to be so specific, he's trying to be as specific as he possibly can to help put away any doubt that he might be fabricating what he's conveying here. I believe that's the reason that he mentions that. In John 19.35, uh, 
It says, he who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. So John, all through his book, letter, his gospel message very much wants to make the point that I was an eyewitness. I walked with the Lord. I witnessed these things firsthand. This is unquestionable, verifiable eyewitness truth. But also notice this. It's interesting that Peter fell behind. Now, again, we, we want to get into the mindset. It's fascinating when you try to think of what were these people thinking? What were they feeling? What was going through their minds? It's a very good practice for us as Christians to try to look at people in the Bible in this way. Because, see, we're looking at them through the cross. We're on the other side of the resurrection. This is just hours after that event. So we have a different, much different perspective than they had. But these are people that were raised in Judaism and being brought into a radical new belief system that was the absolute truth that Christ is. And what we're seeing is them coming to terms with this truth and we're seeing the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in them. So let's look at Peter and consider Peter. Why did he fall behind? And this is a bit of speculation, but just consider this. Peter was in a state of remorse and grief. He was weighed down by sorrow and shame. Why? Because he had denied the Lord shortly before this. See, Peter had walked with the Lord for three years. He was a faithful disciple of his. He loved the Lord. He loved the Lord so much that at the Last Supper, when the Lord said that he would be betrayed, Peter said, I, I will never betray you. And Christ prophesied, said, before the rooster goes, tomorrow you'll deny, you'll deny me three times. And Peter did that. Now imagine the horror of that denial and what was weighing on Peter at this time, trying to wrestle with that reality that he had denied his Lord not just once, but three times in order to protect himself because he was afraid that if he said, yes, I am one of his disciples, that he would be put on trial and his life would be in danger as well. So he was trying to deal with this on the morning of the resurrection. So I feel that maybe one of the reasons Peter fell behind is because he was just weighed down. He was probably exhausted mentally and physically and spiritually because he had been trying to deal with this guilt for these three days now, since the crucifixion and Christ's death. So he didn't have the energy to run like John did. What he had done was weighing him down, slowing him down. We can all relate to that, right? I think that was Peter's mindset and the, and the state of his spirit. Now, in verse, look at verses 5 through 7, where it mentions the grave cloths that were laying there. The face cloth was folded up. They were left behind. Christ isn't there, but his grave cloths are left there. Now, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus came out still wrapped in his burial clothes, right? Because he would be wrapped in them again. See, Lazarus was raised from the dead. Obviously, he placed his faith in Christ, but physically he was going to die again, so his grave clothes would be placed on him again. So he came out of the tomb with them on. 
Jesus left his burial cloths behind because he had defeated sin and death and he no longer would ever need them. He will never, ever enter the tomb again. He has no need ever for grave clothes, you see? So they were left behind. Very symbolic act. And when we are raised from death to life in Jesus Christ, we must, meet, we must leave behind the corruption and the death of sin, just like Christ left his grave clothes behind. So consider that symbolism as well. Look at Romans 6, 9 through 11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And our, our walk here on earth, if we are in Christ, is that constant, continuing, and increasing transformation of our life from sin into our being more and more perfected in holiness through sanctification in Jesus Christ until we finally go to be with him and we finally are done with the flesh completely and sin can't bother us any longer. That's why death for the Christian is such a massive blessing. Where those in the world look at death as an ultimate horror because they either don't know where they're going or they've got an idea of where they're going and it horrifies them. I remember meeting a Christian woman many years ago who had told me about her husband, who was very much of the world. He was living a sinful life. And uh, as he became older, some of his friends died. And he went to visit them uh, shortly before their deaths. And these people were in total terror because they had either, like I said, either no idea what was going to be happening to them or they had an idea of where they were going, and it was absolutely horrifying to them. And then this woman said that this man was blessed to have faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord saved him and made him a new believer. And then what happened? Then his Christian friends began to pass away. And she said what fascinated her husband is when he would go to visit these people, they would be joyous, and they would be peaceful, and they would be serene because they knew that they were going to something so far beyond what we have now that they couldn't wait to walk into the arms of Jesus Christ. Isn't that just amazing? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Now this is John writing about himself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Again, these guys had been told over and over that Christ would rise from the dead, but they didn't, they weren't able to totally understand what he was talking about. And it says, and he saw and believed. This is so important. And that's why I titled the message today, Will You See and Believe? Look at Matthew 13, 16 and these other verses that I'll share with you. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, 
and your ears, for they hear. Why would Christ say that? But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. And then look what Christ says in Mark 4.23. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And then look at John 10, 26 through 28. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So what we're being, the reason I wanted to share these four verses with you is to make the point that Christ, when he, when it says, and he saw and believed, he was just then given the ultimate blessing that any human being can be given. Because the only time that you will see and believe in Jesus Christ is when the Holy Spirit has blessed you with that gift. That's why Matthew 13, 16 says, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Christ was making the point that when his gospel is proclaimed, when he was preaching the gospel, when we share the gospel with someone, those that are blessed with the eyes to see and the ears to hear, that message will be blessed to believe and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about every person in the world that has ears and eyes. He's talking about the very special chosen ones that he became to save, that he came to save. This is why he tells the Pharisees in John 10, 26 through 28, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Such an important lesson, especially if you're in ministry, to understand that you are powerless to save anyone. You are powerless to talk anyone into believing in Jesus Christ. We are just commanded to go preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit will call those sheep whose names the Lord knows and they will come forward and want to start following Christ, and those are the people that we strive to disciple up. You see? And that happens through what we read about in John 16, 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but ever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Unless you are an elect, chosen child of God, you will never grasp the gospel message. It is the ultimate blessing to see and believe in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at verses 10 through 13. Then the disciples went back to their home. So they don't know where Christ is. His body's missing. They don't know what's going on. So they just go home. They're totally distraught. They'd followed this man for three years. They thought he was going to be the Messiah. And they cannot figure out what's going on. So it says, then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. 
And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. So she's still there now by herself, grieving, not only because she knows Christ has died, but now she doesn't even know where his body is. She can't figure out what's going on. Again, in verse 10, then the disciples went back to their home. What must their frame of mind have been? What must their conversation have been like as they were walking back to their homes? Just sometimes just let yourself speculate on these things. Don't put words into God's word. Don't try to add to what we're reading, but just try to consider what must they have been thinking. And if you read the story uh, elsewhere in scripture about the road to Emmaus, it's about two uh, disciples walking to Emmaus, talking about what happened. We thought he was the Messiah. He was crucified. Now he's gone. And then Christ appears to them. So it's just interesting to sort of think about what their mind frame, what their frame of mind must have been at this time, what their conversations must have been like. But they went back to their homes because they didn't know, they didn't think there was anything else that they could do. His body was gone. And then what we're also witnessing here is what? The first hours of the Christian church under the new covenant. See, this is the very first moments of the new covenant. Christ rose from the dead. That was bringing in the new covenant, stating that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not by works, not by anything added to what Christ did. This is just the first few moments of the new covenant here. Now notice it says two angels were sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And angels are always another fascinating study in Scripture. Look at 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them, meaning the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the angels we see are just fascinated as they witness God's plan of salvation to save humanity being carried out. And they're very active in that plan. We are surrounded by angels all the time, and we just don't realize it. The Bible tells us to, uh, often you may entertain angels unaware, so be sure that you treat people kindly because you don't know that, that they may be an angel. You see? Things into which angels long to look. They don't know beforehand God's plan. They are witnessing it being carried out. So it's fascinating and it's glorious to them. But here we see that Mary desires to just know where Christ's body is, and she wants to see Christ's body. That's all she's desiring. She still considers him to be dead. But she's blessed with so much more, much more than she ever imagined. See, she's going to be blessed in a way that she would have never thought of, imagined, or been able to comprehend. And this is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You cannot see, you cannot hear, your heart cannot imagine what God has prepared for you until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you in Jesus Christ. And that's what Mary is being blessed with here. Now let's look at verse, verses 14 through 16. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, 
but she did not know that it was Jesus. So she thinks she's by herself. She looks in, she sees these two angels, and then she notices that there's someone else there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And then in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Think of that. Her eyes were opened. At first she saw him and thought he was someone else. And then the power of his spirit opens her eyes and she goes, it's Christ. Rabboni, teacher. What a beautiful moment in scripture right there in God's plan of salvation, in history. Think of that. Look at Psalm 34, 18 to help paint a little bit more of this point. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Is there any better way to explain Mary's mental and spiritual and emotional condition at that time? She had to have been brokenhearted and her spirit is crushed. Everything she had hoped for, she thought was gone when Christ was killed, but he was near. Christ is near. He is at hand. Yet we so often lose faith and believe that he is far from us. He is as close to us now, if you are a Christian, as he was to Mary standing there next to the tomb. He is not some far off concept. He is not far away in heaven and we are here. He is in heaven, he's with his father, but his spirit is right here with us. The spirit of Christ is right here with you if you are a Christian believer. That's why Philippians 4, 5 through 7 is one of my favorite portions of scripture. It's helped me through so many tough times. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't matter what's happening in the world. Conditions and circumstances are powerless against the fact that Christ is at hand. The Lord is at hand. He is right here with us, just like he was with Mary as she stood outside the tomb thinking that he was gone. And then in verse 15, he says, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, according to Scripture, this seems to be the first word spoken by Christ after his resurrection. Woman, why are you weeping? So ask yourself that. Why are you weeping, distressed, burdened, anxious, and worried if you are in Christ? Revelation 21.4 tells us, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It doesn't matter really what's happening in this world if we are in Christ, because all of that's going to be washed away, and every care and worry and, and sense of anguish will be gone because we are in the Lord, and we can have that now. If you are suffering, if you are down, especially in this age in which we live, when we are told that all these things could kill us, that there's a horrific virus that's really, everybody I think knows that, that the thinking person knows that's a hoax. And people are pushing you to take vaccines and to do this and to do that. 
it's tough to be a Christian nowadays unless you understand that the Lord is at hand. There's nothing we can't handle because the Lord is at hand. And if we understand that he's at hand, we will be blessed with the peace that is only found in him. Why? Because he rose from the dead. You see? Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, Mary. Now again, just another beautiful instance in this narrative. Jesus just says, Mary. There's no greater blessing than to hear Jesus call your name to know that he knows you and he loves you. This is such a huge lesson for people to learn, especially nowadays. This has been so neglected, and I'll share why. One of the scariest verses for many people is Matthew 7, 21 through 23, or portions of scripture. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So many people, because of generations of false teachings, compromising the gospel of Jesus Christ, watering down the gospel of Jesus Christ, think they're a Christian because they think they know Christ. And unfortunately, like I've said before, approximately 90% of the modern church is supposedly following a Christ, but what they don't understand is that's a Christ that's not the Christ of Scripture because they've been given a false picture a false understanding, a false representation of who Christ is. And you can only come to know Christ through Scripture, through the preaching of the gospel from Scripture, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are the five solas. That's why those are so important for us to understand. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. If you're following a Christ that has been created to make him more marketable and palatable to a worldly taste, you're following a false Christ to eternal damnation in hell. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. But if you've heard Christ say your name, and call you through his gospel message because he has blessed you with the ears to hear, the eyes to see, the heart and the spirit to understand, then you've heard him say your name and he knows you. So the point of this is what's important is does Christ know you? Because then the because again, the vast majority of the modern church is prophesying in a false name casting out demons in a false name, doing signs and wonders, mighty works in the false name. But Christ doesn't know them. I have people contact me regularly that are dealing with horrific, demonic oppressions or possessions because they have been through so-called Christian deliverance ministries, telling them that they're in... Uh, that they're going to carry out an exorcism to help them overcome their addiction or whatever it is that's causing them problems. And what they do is open them up, if they're not a believer, to horrific demonic influence. I'm not making that up. It's, it's, it's one of the saddest things that I come across regularly. 
And why is that? Because these ministries are not serving the Lord. They are leading people to a Christ that doesn't exist. Mormonism does the same thing. Roman Catholicism does the same thing. Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist. Folks, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That gets rid of everything that contradicts that. Christianity is not tolerant, and Christianity is not all-inclusive. Christianity is John 14, 6. You either believe in the Christ of Scripture, who died on the cross for our sins and rose for our salvation, or you are damned. So Resurrection Day is either a death sentence for you or a celebration of life. That's how you have to look at it. John 10, 27 through 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Only his sheep can hear what I'm saying. The gospel message. Let's look at verses 17 and 18. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So now listen, Mary Magdalene goes to the disciples and she says the ultimate thing. I have seen the Lord. Her eyes saw him. She was given that blessing and that he had said these things to her. But notice he says, do not cling to me. Why? Because now the new covenant has been brought in. And how do we worship the Lord in the new covenant? Because of Christ's resurrection. John 4.24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That was when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. But if you look at John 4.23, I forgot to include that verse. So I've got it here in my Bible. He's, what precedes this verse, Christ says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. That hour is now here. That's what's happening. So we worship the Lord in spirit and truth. So she should not have been trying to cling to him physically. You see? And then he says, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Folks, that statement is our hope, our comfort, our joy, and our celebration on Resurrection Sunday. Because of the cross, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus Christ, his father is our father, his God is our God. You see? And then she goes and she says, I have seen the Lord. Folks, there's no greater statement you can make. There's no greater proclamation of your own regeneration and recreation in Christ and your transformation than to say, I have seen the Lord, because that's what it's all about. Look at the, what Jesus taught on the Last Supper. He gives us the reason believers see the Lord. During the Last Supper in John 14, 16 through 21, the Lord said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So with that in mind, ask yourself, have you seen the Lord? Are you claiming to be a Christian and you've truly seen the Lord and you are seeking to follow him and to live for him? Or have you been following something that's not true? A very important question for you to consider. Never accept the cheap grace of modern Christianity. Remember the cross. Remember the price Jesus paid for your redemption so that you, if you truly believe, can say, I have seen the Lord. Christ in the age in which we live is presented as just another option on the self-help rack at the bookstore. He's marketed like a product. Parts of him that the world don't like are, are simply removed. And the parts that sound good and that are easy for worldly people to swallow is what the church, church push, puts forth. Jesus loves you. Jesus is all love. I saw something with a false teacher the other day where uh, she claimed that uh, there's no hell because God is all love. That Therefore, that negates hell. Folks, I'm sorry. Bible talks about hell very clearly. God's love is displayed in hell. Why? Because he hates sin and he saves us out of it. And those that reject his salvation are destroyed in hell because of that sin. So it all comes down to love. You see, it all comes down to love. But ask yourself, are you accepting a, the cheap grace of modern Christianity where we don't talk about the cross for what it really is? We don't remember the price Jesus paid for our redemption? Because those things have to be always at the forefront of our mind if we are in Christ. But you have to truly believe so that you can say, I have seen the Lord. Paul makes the same point. I'm not making this stuff up. In 1 Corinthians 6.20, he says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Remember how much of a sacrifice and suffering Christ went through for you. The price he paid for you. 1 Peter 2, 24 through 25, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned, <clears throat> excuse me, to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Praise the Lord for that. Consider the fatality of rejecting Jesus Christ. Your eternity is completely bound to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're either lost or saved by the cross of Jesus Christ. See, you cannot go through life and say, well, this is just something that I choose not to really get into. I don't get involved in religion. It's too divisive. It's too offensive to so many people. So I just stay away from it. What you don't realize is you are just involved, just as involved in the cross of Christ as a Christian believer. The problem is, it is your condemnation because you're rejecting it. Your eternal damnation because you're rejecting it. So you can't get away from it. See, like I said, the cross is the central turning point of all creation, history, it's universal. So you can't escape it. It's not a choice whether you're going to consider it or not. You have to consider and decide which side of the cross you, you stand on.
and where you stand when it comes to Jesus Christ. It's not a choice of whether you're going to consider it or not. It's how you're going to consider it. Every human being has to face this. Look at these verses to reiterate my point. John 5, 26 through 29, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Not just believers, all will be called forth and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Folks, I've done evil in my life. The only reason I get to go be with the Lord is because I get to stand in his righteousness because he blessed me with eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and spirit to believe. So it's nothing that rests in me. John 6, 40, for this is the will of my father that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. John 12, 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Again, you got to decide which side of the cross you're going to be on. How will you respond to the cross of Jesus Christ, to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Remember the cross and take up your own. Live as Christ in this world. Live sacrificially, lovingly, serving, giving, sharing the gospel. When you are in Christ, the gospel and the cause of the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ becomes your central focus of everything that you do. Everything should be moving towards living sacrificially for Jesus Christ and striving to get that gospel message to more and more people. Like I've said before, it's not that some Christians are in ministry and some aren't. Every Christian is in ministry. We just all have a different type of ministry that we're involved with. I can't do what I do without the ministries of other, others that help me do what I do. We're all in ministry together. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 2 is our mission verse. My favorite. Look at this quote from K.P. Yohannan, who's the president of Gospel for Asia. True Christian suffering comes because we live for God and are serving the expansion of his kingdom. It is a positive sacrifice for the good of others. You will not be at peace until the whole world knows of him. You will pay any price to see others know the love of God. That should be your driving passion if you were in Christ, you guys. So go to the word to learn of Christ, not to the world and not to what this world tries to make Jesus out to be. We can only come to see the Lord through his word. It's the only way. I'll give you some examples to reiterate this point as well. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Romans 4, 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justifications. Justification. Galatians 1, 4. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. 
in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And I'll close with Colossians 1.15-20, which I believe is just a beautiful uh, devotion, contemplation, meditation for Resurrection Sunday. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So the question I'll close with is, will you see and believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to worship you on this very special day and to remember your resurrection. And Lord, I ask that you would just bless each heart that's heard this message, that you would do a mighty work through it. And Lord, that in the coming week, you would bless us with opportunities to share the gospel, to uh, help strengthen, comfort, and edify our brothers and sisters in you. And that most of all, that you would be glorified in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, like I mentioned the last couple of weeks, uh, the show now has a sponsor. It's called Elephant Walk. If you go to elephantwalk.net um, and you, there's a code you can input that I thought was on here. I think it's on the next screen. Uh, if you just put in the way, all lowercase, you'll get 10% off. And proceeds from elephantwalk.net go to help support the ministry, and they go to help support um, artisans in places like Kenya, where we do so much ministry work. Uh, my brother and I started this company about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and we're very excited about it. And we'd really appreciate you at least paying it a visit. Just go to elephantwalk.net. Uh, we have just uh, an amazing collection of leather items, wood items, and we are adding new products all the time. So it's very high quality, very fairly priced. And again, the most important part is every purchase helps us help others and forward the ministry that we're uh, engaged in. Uh, let me see, where's my next slide here? Here we go. Um, our website is the way, the letter R122.org. You can subscribe to the podcast. What I do is every Friday or Saturday, uh, we publish a pop podcast episode of the previous Sunday's sermon. And you can find the podcast by going to christianpodcastcommunity.org and just searching for The Way Radio in the search field. I believe you can also go to um, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts. The different podcast servers should all have the podcast on there as well. But if you go to christianpodcastcommunity.org, you can also check out some other great Christian podcasts that are on there. Uh, we're on YouTube at The Way Ministry Church. The sermons uh, videos are published the one that you're seeing today will be published tomorrow or Tuesday. And please consider donating to the ministry at the way, the letter R122.org. We've got so much we're trying to do, both through the Recovery Reformation Ministry and the Way Ministry Church Kenya and uh, the ministry that you're a part of online here 
today. Uh, in Kenya, we are really striving to get a, a new Bible school set up as soon as possible in Nairobi, and I'll be sharing more about that in the coming weeks. So that is about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll be back here next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Bye-bye.